with our special this morning.
Appreciate it, Jordan. And uh, we are standing in his presence. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 4. And as we continue to look at Elijah and Elisha, servants of the Most High God. It's going to be a busy summer already planning on. I've got uh, just a few things. Matter of fact, I was looking at the next sermon in this series, which is just the next thing, beginning with verse 8, what I'm going to preach next Sunday morning. And I called Brother Emmett and uh, was I knew he in his group, the Promised Land Quartet, they're going to be singing at our homecoming. I said, and I'm already lining up, they're, they're going to do the invitational hymn. I'm uh, looking forward to that, and it's going to tie in with the message And next Sunday morning. Praying for a good uh, Sunday, of course, any day that we have dinner on the grounds, that's going to be good. Many of you remember when it was literally dinner on the grounds outside uh, here, and uh, here at uh, Promised Land. I've, uh, someone has shared some pictures back when it was the old building, and then, of course, later on, there was uh, just this building, and then that became the fellowship hall whenever this building was constructed. And uh, so a lot of memories down through the years. Uh, Mount Olive uh, still has the old places outside where the setup for dinner on the grounds uh, out there. So literally a lot of memories there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to homecoming. It's always just a neat service. We'll roll right into Bible school that night, which is a lot of tie-in work, but it, it really works out well, especially for our closing program on Friday night. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Just stand up. If you have your regular old faithful leather-bound Bible, some are use electronic Bibles, that's fine. The Word of God is unchanging, will never be destroyed will never go out of existence. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1. And there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then, she, then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out unto all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. And she went from him, and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her. And she poured out, and it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed, or stopped, 
And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we can stand together and read together a portion of your holy word. May your Holy Spirit and your word speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for helping me out. Put in the title here, What Does God Bless? It's good to have God's blessings upon our church and upon our lives. Uh, Real quickly, I want to, if you would, go with me to James chapter 2. Now I'm just going to quote uh, Hebrews 11. It basically says this. It says, But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, God blesses two things. I do want to read the James Scripture. God blesses faith and God blesses effort. Whenever you say you have faith, but you have no effort, now some call it faith and works. But you could just say faith and effort. Now, effort means to say, I believe something, and then uh, I'm going to act on it. One of the most famous illustrations concerning this was almost a hundred years ago, true story. They constructed a tightrope wire across the Niagara Falls. And a fellow got up there in balancing act, and he was really good. He could walk across frontwards, backwards, this way and that way. And he also had a specially constructed wheelbarrow. And he got up there, and he was walking that wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, and he said, how many of you believe that I can push a person in this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? Everybody's hand went up. He said, how many volunteers do I have? And not a single hand went up. You know, it's one thing to say you believe something. It's another thing to act on that belief. A lot of us say, I believe that God can, should, would, will, whatever. But many of us are reluctant to be the volunteer, to be the one that acts on the faith that actually does it. Now, in James chapter 2, very, very famous passage whenever you hear faith without works. In James 2, verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? Now, this is not saying that uh, faith, that you got to work for your salvation. What it's saying is that you say you believe, but you never do anything. You know, that's basically, James calls it a dead faith. In other words, a faith that's only coming out your mouth doesn't save you. In other words, you might believe in your heart. It says that those two things are in Romans 10.9. It says, for with the mouth confession is made, but you believe in your heart. And so you've got to act on it. But if you continue reading, it says this. Now, here's James just throws in an illustration in verse 15, 16, and 17. He says, now listen, you say you're saved. You say you're going to heaven. You say you love Jesus. But if a brother or sister be naked, destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, 
Notwithstanding, you give not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Basically saying this, somebody says, I have no food to eat. And you say, I'll pray for you, brother. Well, that's just sorry, number one. And number two, you know, that's showing your heart. You really, you say, I'm praying for you, but you don't care. If you, I mean, it's one thing to say, I pray for somebody, but it's another thing to actually do something for somebody else. And then if, just finishing up in verse 18, still in James 2, it says in verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then it goes on to say, even the devils believe. You know, the devil and say, if the devils, and all the Satan, demonic possession, all those things, they believe in Jesus. But Jesus is not their Savior. They believe in Him just like I believe in George Washington, but I don't trust George Washington to save my soul. So just saying that you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you're saved. It's whenever you act on it as showing what's in your heart. The Bible says your actions will show your heart. Jesus said it this way. Just kind of sum it all up before we move on. Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. Plain and simple. All right. Now, there's a lot of acronyms for faith, so it takes faith. And this woman, uh, act, this uh, widow, she acts on faith. And faith is necessary to please God, but not just faith alone. You say, I believe, I have faith, but we've got to actually do something. So this woman's about to act on her faith. We need a church that's not only verbal, in other words, we say we love the Lord, but we actually act like we love the Lord, that we do things to love the Lord, that we share our love with others. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, I love Philip Yancey. There was two quotes. I was reading one of his books last week. And uh matter of fact, it's a kind of a, got a weird title, but it has been a great book. I believe we have it in our church library. I'm reading it on my Kindle. And the name of the book is called this, Disappointment with God. Disappointment with God. Excellent read. If you've ever know somebody or in your life, and you have those unanswered questions. In other words, what happens when God does not answer your prayers? What happens when bad things happen to good people, such as the death of a child or something to that nature? And that's what that book's about. When God is silent, when God does not show up, when God does not always come through the way you want Him to come through. In that book, there's two quotes. Number one, where there's no longer any opportunity for doubt, there's no opportunity for faith. Which, what does that mean? If you remove all doubt, why do you have to trust? If there's no doubt, there's no need for trust. Second, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. How many of you in your life, you realize that, you know, you wondered, where's God? Why, I need an answer. 
but it was after everything settled down, after everything was over with, you look back and you said, oh, that's what God was doing. I see now. I didn't see at the time. I couldn't see. That's where faith comes in. You say, I don't understand how it's going to work. I don't even know how it's going to work out, but I just believe God. That's having faith. And then years later, when you're, when you're in your thirties, you look back from your fifties and you say, oh, that's what God was doing all along. That's, you look back. That's, you know, but right now, God doesn't make sense. And sometimes God doesn't make sense until we're in heaven and we say, oh, that's what you meant by that, God. But that's called faith. There's a whole bunch of... I've seen people try to sum up faith. I ran across one the other day and uh, Karen said, man, that's pretty good. And it was, uh, you know, F-A-I-T-H. It's an acronym and I put it in the bulletin for you. Forwarding all issues... To heaven. I liked another. Um, there's one years ago. That's the latest one I've seen. Uh, forsaking all, I trust Him. That's a pretty good one. But that one's. I remember that one from years back. First of all, in our text, we have a situation that all of us have been in, and that is having a debt that we could not pay. You said, Brother Michael, I've. Uh, I've been able to pay my bills my whole life. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a debt you never could pay and never have paid, and that's called your sin debt. Okay? Now, sure, all of us can pay our bills, and sometimes we might have a bill we can't pay, and we work it out with our creditors. Well, guess what? In the Bible days, when you had a debt you couldn't pay, they enslaved you. Okay? They made a bond slave or servant out of you, and you worked it out. Okay, and uh, the Jewish laws had a deal where after seven years, all those things were dropped, which is where we get our credit bureau score thing dropped after seven years, unless it's a bankruptcy. She was in a place where she was helpless, hopeless. Uh, Matter of fact, did you realize this, that a lot of times, a lot of times in your life, when you're helpless, when you're hopeless, when you have no way out, a lot of times that's where God wants us. Matter of fact, that's where He can use us best. If you back up just a little ways in your Bible to Exodus 14, there was a group of people, matter of fact, there's over a million people, and they were in a helpless, hopeless situation, and they figured, well, it's all we're done for. In Exodus 14, verse 10, the Word of God says, now this is uh, the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. They hadn't even crossed the Red Sea. I mean, Charlton Heston in that great classic movie that was shown every Easter when I was growing up. And I was just amazed. You know, as a matter of fact, I saw it not too long ago. And that film's almost 50 years old. It may be 50 years old. I don't know. And it's just still for that day having amazing special effects whenever they showed the water, that wall of water on that Red Sea going up and them crossing over on dry land. Amazing for a film that day. But literally, so that's where we're at in this story here in Exodus. And we're looking at a situation and, you know, I can just imagine, I can see this happening. They're, they've got the, 
the sea and ocean right here behind them, an Egyptian army bearing down on them with chariots and soldiers. And guess what they do? We're going to die. <laughs> We're done for. We're dead. I'm, it's hopeless. There's no way out of here. Moses, you didn't figure there was enough dead things out here in the desert. So you drug us out here to die. Read it. It's in there. They started griping and complaining. Folks, sometimes when you're in a helpless, hopeless situation and there seems no way out, God's got you right where He wants you. Where you have to depend on Him. But some of you right now, this morning, are so self-sufficient, so full of pride, so full of yourself and your own talent and your own abilities, that you cannot be used of God until God says, I've got to take away some things before you will trust me. In Exodus 14, verse 10, Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, behold, the Egyptians marched after them, they were so afraid, and they cried out unto the Lord, Verse 11, they said unto Moses, It weren't because there was no graves in Egypt. Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we would tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should come out here and die in this wilderness? And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you need to hush. <laughs> That's country for hold thy peace. <laughs> just, just, hey, just, just stop talking. Yep. Have to talk to sometimes my kids and my dogs. Yep. Watch. It's whenever we stop complaining and say, God, okay, I don't understand how. I don't understand why, but I want you to work in my life. She had a debt she could not pay. She was hopeless, she was helpless, she turned to the man of God, which her husband worked for. Basically, he was a seminary student for Elisha and Elijah. I love this statement. She had nothing. Talking about the widow lady back in Second Kings 4. And she learned what God could do with nothing. She had nothing. And then she learned what God could do with nothing. Well, the the second point, and really the last point, was her faith was as big as her obedience. Verse 2 says just basically this, just use what you have. And uh, so what do you got? Now, right here is where a lot of people cop out. Cop out. Well, I, Brother Michael, I would love to help in church, but I'm not talented. I can't speak. I can't pray. Well, Moses, he's had that excuse already. 
And I shared with somebody the other day about somebody offering me an excuse about coming to church and promised land was too big. And I shared with them, I said, well, guess what? Sunday night we have half the people. So come Sunday night and there's not near as many people. If you feel uncomfortable with this many people, just come Sunday night. We'd love to have you come Sunday night. We have two services on Sunday, by the way. I didn't know if y'all knew that. Two services on Sunday night. Well, guess what? There's all kind of excuses. Moses said, I can't talk. Uh, can't do this. Can't do that. She said, you know, Jordan is blessed with a beautiful singing voice. She can sing. And you say, well, I, I'd love to do that, but I can't sing. I'd love to teach, but I can't. Just quit offering excuses. You know, a lot of people, uh, uh, we can, we can make excuses or we can get after it. Okay? You know, it's kind of like the old saying, you know, make excuses or make hay. All right, let's just get after it. Let's put our hand to the plow and get to work and quit offering God and each other excuses. So she didn't have much. What do you have at home? Nothing. Well, I do have a bottle of Crisco over there, but, you know, that's about it. That's all I got, Crisco. She, Lasha said, that's enough. Folks, whatever you have, give it to God and He'll make it enough. It doesn't matter. You say, I can't sing, I can't talk, can't do, quit saying can't. And say, this is what I have. God, it's yours. When you say that, then you're on the right place. A lot of people say, if I want to be in good standing with God, the best way to be in good standing with God is on your knees. Okay? And then you're in good, a good place to be in good standing with God. And so she said, what do you got? I got a bowl of Crisco. Guess what? You, Take that. We can use it. Now, here's the instructions. I want you to go all to your friends and neighbors. What if she just went to, you know, over here I go to see Miss Betty Jones. I go over here. Miss Betty, what kind of bowls you got? Okay, I go over here, Brother Bowls, and I get some. That's it. That's all the neighbors I've got. No, there's more neighbors on Promised Land Road. They're, you know, but basically this. Did you know her faith, her debt, could only be paid if she actually did that. And so he said, borrow not a few. Which means this, faith is directly tied to your obedience, which means this, little faith, little obedience. You know, big faith saying, folks, you say, God, I believe that this building, this auditorium, won't be big enough. If we all had this kind of faith, but it's faith of obedience. It's faith saying, I won't just go to one neighbor. I won't go to just two neighbors. I'll go to every neighbor I've got. And see, what if she had just borrowed ten bowls? Well, guess what? And I looked it up in the Hebrew and make sure, Trey, I looked it up. You know, when it says in the King James, the oil stayed. I said, well, does it stay mean dis not disappearing? Or did the, what did it mean by oil, the oil stayed? It meant the oil stopped. English or Hebrew. So guess what? Whenever the last bowl was full, boom! So if she borrowed ten bowls, that's it. So guess what? I believe she borrowed everybody's bowls. Now here's the key to this last point. The key word to this last point, and if I want to give you a pop quiz when you walk by me, don't sneak out these side doors on the pop quiz now. now you can. A lot of people do say, so i got a place to go. 
Here's the quiz. What's the key word to point number two? Empty. Which is where we need to be. Many people don't serve God because they're too full of themselves. Or you're too full of the world. Or you're too full of pride. Or you're too full of whatever. I don't know, but right now in your heart, you are full. God wants an empty vessel. And if there, and a lot of times we can be full of sin, full of pride, full of whatever, full of everything but the Him. And He's saying, here's what I want to bless. I want to bless an empty vessel. Kept pouring, kept pouring. Son, hand me another vessel. They're all full, Mom. There's not another one left. If she, I don't know if she borrowed a hundred, but I think she borrowed everything available. Point being, number one, God blesses an empty... Number one, He blesses faith and obedience. Number two, here, what is the key word here? Empty. I, in order for God to bless promised land, we must empty ourselves. Every time I come and prepare a sermon, I don't need to preach Michael Reese's thoughts. Empty that out, and I need to preach the Lord's thoughts. Because it's not about the preacher. It's not about us. It's about Him. I need to empty myself of whatever's in there and fill with the Holy Spirit Him, Him, Him. Cannot be lazy with your faith. She borrowed a bunch. The other day, the last few points, I put on verse 4 through 6, I call it running on empty. Start filling that joker up. I think it was, a, it was either the last time we drove to seminary or the next to the last. And we were coming in late. And I don't know if it was my subconscious mind telling me to not pay attention to the fuel mileage, but we were in Miss Martha and them's old van that they had donated to church, and and uh, it's got a computer up there. And at, after you leave Pine Bluff and you head through Rising Area and Rye and all of there, there's no gas stations till you get to Monticello. It's about 35, 40 miles, every one it is. And uh, anyway. <clears throat> We still had 25 miles to go, and the light had come on, but I wasn't paying it any mind. I was just driving. Miss Merlin hates that when I do that. And she says, if you run out of gas, Brother Michael, I am not coming to rescue you. <laughs> and Because you do this entirely too much. Okay. And, uh, so, and then that computer said, how many miles to empty? Trey looked at it and said, Brother Michael, it says three miles to empty. I said, have faith, Trey. Have faith. And uh, he said, that's asking a lot. We still have 30 more miles to go. And uh, lo and behold, we made it, didn't we, Trey? All the way. It, I didn't know. Now I know you can drive over 25 miles when it says zero. When the computer says zero. I don't advise that. Because there's a difference between placing your faith in the Lord and a gas gauge.
and there's a big difference. But the point is that many of you are running on empty. Which is not good in a gas tank, and it's not good spiritually. But you have to empty yourself of your worries, your sin, your whatever, your concerns, your own desires, and fill up on that spiritual gas tank. And God, God, I need to obey you. I need to live for you. The last verse. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. He said, There's no more vessels. And the oil stopped. God will give you exactly what you need At the right time. She had a debt. She could not pay. She turned to the right place. There's somebody here this morning. And you're running on empty. But guess what? Maybe, right, listen to me very closely, very, very closely. Maybe that's exactly where God wants you. Because when you run out of strength, when you run out of gas, so to speak, you say, God, I'm helpless. I'm, I need you. I'm in a no-win situation and I don't know where to go from here. Would you fill my tank? I'm tired of running on my own strength and my own, when the cliches and the fancy words run out, when all the tricks up your sleeve are gone, you say, God, I have nothing left. I need you. As we prepare for a hymn invitation, would you bow with me for a word of prayer, Father? I know what it takes to please you, but it's a lot, it's another thing to actually act on it. And my prayer this morning is that we would have everybody here, everybody realize the same thing. We need you more than anything. We need to obey You more than anything. Help us to actually not only say we love You, say we trust You, but to act on that love, to act on that trust and faith. And Father, I pray that You would bless our church. May Your Holy Spirit be in charge and control. If anybody needs to make any decisions or moves, in Jesus' name, Amen.